Get ready. Three, two, one, zero. You are listening to the Fantasy Joe's Podcast. Fantasy Joe's Podcast. Your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on dynasty. And now, here are your hosts, Ryan Livergood, Trey Barrett, and Will Greenwood. We are the Fantasy Joes. Joining me this evening, as always, we got Trey Barrett and Will Greenwood. And we have special guest, Paul Pertichese of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. How are you, Paul? I'm doing well. Glad to be here, guys. Looking forward to it. We're really looking forward to talking to you, Paul. Because um, now we're so close. What are we, like, like three weeks away um, to the NFL draft? We're so excited. And now it's really time to take that deep dive into this rookie class. Uh, you know, figure out, get, get our draft boards ready before we're persuaded too much by landing spots. Uh, Trey, you ready to talk about some rookies tonight? Yeah, man. I mean, we still got deals going down. The Patriots uh, making a, a fairly bold move this week, uh, sending Cooks to the Rams for another first-round pick and all the rumors surrounding OBJ. Like, it, you know, things haven't calmed down. And, uh, yeah, the rookie, the rookie hype is real, so – it's a, it's a fun time to be alive, gentlemen. It is fun. We, we, we should talk about that deal. Paul, we, we should ask you about that deal in a second if you want to talk about it. Sure. But, Will, first of all, I'm going to check in with you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And as they would say in the movie Dodgeball, it's a bold move, Cat, and we'll see if it pays off for him. <laughs> that's, that's right. So, so, Paul, what do you think about um, Cooks to the Rams? What, what do you think the Patriots are doing? What are your thoughts on this? I mean, I think it's a typical Bill Belichick move. He basically last year traded away the last pick in the first round and then an extra pick in on day three, I believe. And he got Brandon Cooks one year for like six or $7 million last year. And it was the last year of his first four-year rookie contract. And then he was locked into that fifth-year deal. Apparently, the rumor today was they gave him, you know, a contract extension offer. He turned it down. And Belichick sort of has an opportunity. He wasn't going to go higher than that. And he recouped that first-round pick. I mean, I think what's fascinating is that he's now been traded twice for first-round picks. So, you know, it's rare that players get traded for first-round picks, which I thought made all the OBJ talk pretty comical that people were like I'm not sure he might even get traded for a first round pick I don't think you know people are going to be willing to do that well Brandon Cooks is proof that teams are willing to trade first round picks for players and that's two years in a row now and as good as Brandon Cooks is he's no OBJ so I do think it's the right play for the Rams I'm not really sure how they're going to be able to pay for all these guys down the line but they need somebody to replace Sammy Watkins I think Brandon Cooks is a better player I'm not actually traded for him today in the dynasty league because I think people are a little bit too low on him, to be frankly honest with you. I think having a whole offseason there to get acclimated to the Rams, I think Sean McAvey is going to find a way to use him a lot more than he just had Sammy Watkins run clear out routes to open up underneath for Robert Woods and, and Cooper Cup. And on the other side, you know, I think, I think that's what Belichick does. He's going to use the assets that he gets in those picks to move around in the first couple of rounds and probably solidify the O-line and the defense, and, and they'll just find a way at wide receiver like they pretty much always have. Yeah, I like those thoughts. Uh, Will, Trey, what do you guys think uh, about this move? Well, I, um, <clears throat> I was a big fan of Brandon Cooks when he first came in the league and was with the Saints. I thought that, you know, the way they used him early on, um, you know, on some some short routes, getting him in the middle of the field um, from the slot, I thought was a, a great use. And then, you know, the move to New England, I, my problem with Brandon Cooks is that he's just that, you know, high boom bust, you know, he scores such a high percentage of his points in just a few weeks. And um, I've got some concern, you know, I was a little surprised I did some research on the Rams offense because, you know, everyone expects the Rams offense next year to just be this dynamic, incredible offense like they were this year. But I was surprised to find, even though they were the number one scoring offense, they were 10th in the league in, in yards. Uh, and they were actually behind the Jaguars and the Bucks in uh, total yardage this year, which you think, I mean, take a minute and just kind of absorb that. That's ridiculous. And, you know, they're shoring up their defense. Um, so, I've never been a big Brandon Cook supporter, especially at an ADP of, you know, in the second round range. There's there's some other guys I'd, I'd prefer to have there. Um, it will be interesting to see how they deploy him because I do think that Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are great. Um, and, you know, we might talk about one of those guys uh, later on in the show in a segment we have. But So I, I won't probably 
be doing much buy. I don't think I have any shares of Brandon Cooks. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how he turns out there in L.A. And what, a, what an exciting world of the NFL we live in right now with these kind of trades going down. And, and relatively often, it seems like we're, we're bigger name players are getting traded from team to team, whereas, you know, 15 years ago, this stuff just didn't really happen and you didn't have these news kind of splashes. Uh, I'm just very excited that, that the Rams are even trying this. And I, as far as the Cooks thing, the only, my biggest concern is that you've been traded twice now for first-round picks. Why aren't you worth more at this point? And why is it still your value? And again, like not – like diving too far into it, that just is a narrative that is hard to, for me to wrap my head around that that uh, player is going to be, you know, now they're going to sign him to a five-year deal after he's jumped around like this. And it started with the, with the Saints, who used him quite well as well. Anyway. Yeah, I think the NFL is starting to get smarter and smarter, right? Not only uh, using more advanced analytics, but also from, a, the, you know, understanding the salary cap, the, the business of the NFL, the, these teams are getting smarter and smarter. It's going to make for a great 2018 season and beyond. Um, so let, let's get into the, the rookies guys for a little bit. Let's talk about these 2018 rookies. And before we do that, Paul, I want you to talk about yourself and how you got into fantasy football and tell us about the creation of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. It's a really great podcast. I have to say you guys have been on fire the last couple of weeks. Uh, that show you did with Brad Kelly on the wide receivers was just awesome. You, you know, talking about the wide receivers, you followed it up with the running back show. It's been really good leading up to the draft, Paul. So do you want to talk about talk about the podcast and how you got into fantasy football? Sure. I mean, fantasy football has just been a passion of mine for a long time. At this point, I've probably been playing now for like over 20, 25 years. I, you know, I started back in the day. We were like my, literally my brother and my dad, we would draft like a, a team and literally the day after something, you know, Monday we would use like the newspaper and like literally look at like box scores and like this count up touchdowns and, and stuff like that. And just kind of eventually morphed into like Yahoo created fantasy and I would play with my, you know, my high school buddies and stuff. And it was just always something that I wanted to get into. And, you know, eventually I had an opportunity to uh, work for dynasty league football there over at DLF. And then while I was there, uh, I got to become uh, friends with uh, Nick Whalen, who uh, writes the Debbie Report, and then also uh, Matt Caraccio, who I know personally, and uh, we worked together, and we were all there at the same time, and we just really thought that the market for college players in general as they're transitioning to the NFL, whether it's, you know, Debbie or just a little bit more of a fantasy lens with more of an evaluation, you know, tilt to it, more of a film and trait-based analysis was really just missing at that time. So we kind of said, you know what, like we're going to, why don't we create a podcast? And, you know, we, it it was something I was in the works for a while. We didn't know if we were going to do it, you know, within, you know, where we were at the time or we were going to branch out on our own. We ended up branching out on our own and we created it, the three of us. And, I don't really ever think we expected it to get to where we was. Obviously, you know, people have been following us for a long time. After about the first year, Nick, you know, stepped away from it. And Matt and I have continued uh, to push forward with it. And here we are, you know, 160, you know, two episodes in or whatever. And, and we just love it. And then this year we launched the set of premium notebooks just to kind of give people, you know, a better feel for, you know, our thoughts. We were putting so much time and effort writing all this stuff down, creating these sheets for ourselves. That we said, why don't we, you know, clean it up a little bit and, you know, give it to the consumer as well if they'd like to purchase it so they don't have to be writing things down. And it just helps us grow and, you know, further do what we, you know, want to do, which is just continue to bring this type of coverage. So that's really kind of how Saturday to Sunday got started. Yeah, I, the premium notebook, I purchased it. And, and the, you know, I'm an expert. I'm a librarian, right? So I evaluate these resources for a living. And it, it is it is top notch, Paul. I mean, it, it's excellent. I mean it. It's it's great. It's great um, content. Um, you know, we're so we're so lucky that in this day and age, there's so many premium resources you can buy, including yours. You referred to Nick Whalen, a friend of our show. With, you know, he's got the Debra Report, the graduates. Um, there's ju- there's just so much stuff out there, and, and and yours is is right up there with all the rest. So I encourage people to to buy it. We'll we'll talk about where they can go to buy it later. But but let's get into. Um, talking about these just different positions in your positional ranks. Sure. And I, I think the, the sexy place to start, of course, is the running back position. And I, I guess what with this exercise, what we want to do is we want to go through and we want to talk about 
players that, that maybe you're a little bit higher on the consensus and then, then lower on the, the consensus ranking. So with running back, Paul, who would you say you're, you're higher on versus everyone else and then lower on versus everyone else? In, in terms of higher, I mean, I think that's easy. For me, it's been Kalen Balaj. You know, he's been our champion cause this year. Uh, last year was Alvin Kamara that we just looked at his skill set and we just thought he had a rare skill set that was going to translate. And if he ended up in the right situation, it was all going to come together. And he did. So, I mean, that was obviously a big part of it last year, ending up in New Orleans. But we saw an elite trade or two. And I really think that's the key when you're evaluating these running backs is trying to find these guys that have one or two elite traits to their name because it really does make a big difference at the NFL level, the level of defensive athletes are just so great. And for me, it's Kalen Balaj. I, I get the concerns. I, I truly do. So people who don't have him as high, I get it. His vision, his natural running instincts, they're not that good. You know, right now there is room to grow. His, his stats, people who are really into statistical metrics and stuff like that, he did not have a good rushing career at Arizona State. I think part of that was him. Part of it was his usage. But when I watch him play, I see a guy that has rare athleticism for his size. And I see a guy who is going to be a mismatch nightmare for opposing defenses in terms of his receiving ability. I think on par with Saquon Barkley is the, is the best two route runners coming out of the backfield in this draft class. I think he, if you line him up against linebackers, I think he's going to be way too quick, uh, way too fast for those guys. And he's a guy who I think you can scheme, you know, 11 to 13 touches a game and if you get him that and five or five or six of those are you know pass opportunities I really do think he can make a big fantasy impact sooner rather than later provided that we're talking PPR leagues I think his values is obviously significantly higher in those type of leagues and I think maybe his running ability can you know grow and develop in time because I think think people have a little bit of a forgetful nature in terms of we were having these same conversations about David Johnson a few years back when he came out of Northern Iowa. There was a lot of talk that maybe he should switch to H-back, maybe he should be a move tight end, you know, all these different things because people questioned his running instincts, his vision. He put up stats in college, but most people thought he was going to make an impact exclusively in his receiving ability, and that's why he got drafted in the third round, and he was another elite athlete for his size. You know, a guy like David Johnson, even a guy like Kenyon Drake, I think are good comparisons, you know, for what Kalen Balaj is right now. And maybe he develops into something more. So I think Balaj is definitely the guy that I probably am higher on than the rest. In terms of the other way around, I don't know if there's anybody that really dramatically stands out. I think maybe people are a little bit higher on Rashad Penny. Uh, he, I have him right below Kalen Balaj at number eight. I think more people maybe have him a little bit further up there, maybe in that, you know, five, six range. Uh, so I think he might be a guy. And I like Penny's game a lot. I just – I have concerns about his pass protection. So I do think it could potentially limit him to two downs in the early going. I do think he's a pretty good receiver. I think I've comped him a little bit as a package to Kareem Hunt, but before Kareem Hunt exploded onto the NFL scene in terms of – I don't think he has an elite – calling card but I think he's pretty solid across the board so I think maybe I'm slightly a little bit lower than the consensus on Richard Penny but not by much I, I love I love the uh the, the the points there on Kalen Balaj. I think he's a guy that's really fallen down and, and out of the conversation when it comes to rookies and is gonna be able to be had at a pretty good value in rookie drafts again I, I'm just so excited to see where, where he's gonna land it, it's gonna be so important for him yeah, absolutely. The landing spot's going to be critical for him because if he goes to a team that doesn't really know how to maximize his skill set or they have a pretty good receiving back in play already, I, I, I think it could be years before we see Balaj make a big impact. Like if for some reason he was to get drafted by, like, say, the Lions, who have a guy like Theo Riddick in place, I don't really think you're going to see much of an impact from him. But if you see him land in a spot, you know, that doesn't have that guy. I thought Tennessee would have been a perfect landing spot before they got Deion Lewis with their new offensive coordinator there. I thought he would have been the perfect complement to a guy like Derrick Henry. Obviously now with Lewis in the fold there, I don't really think that would be an ideal match. But he really needs to get put in a place where the, the OC or the head coach, depending on who's the guy calling the plays, is creative enough to use a guy with his skill set. If he landed in Tennessee, I think that'd be the, the tallest combined backfield in the NFL by far. They might even set a record. Oh. Yes, without a doubt. All right, so Paul, what what about wide receiver position? Who who are the guys that you 
um, like more the consensus there? And, and then who's a guy that maybe you don't like quite as much? I know that the, the wide receiver position, there's a lot of diversity at the top, those top three or four guys. It seems like uh, many, many different sources and, and um, experts, if you will, have uh, got different guys at the top. So I'm curious to see uh, what your thoughts are there at that position. Sure. So, I mean, I think the wide receiver group is really a close-knit group. Like, I have two tiers. I have a top tier, and then my second tier goes all the way down from, like, four guys down to, I mean, from number my fourth-ranked guy all the way down to, you know, my 12th-ranked guy. So I don't think there's a lot of discrepancy between 1 and 12, to be frankly honest with you. I think there's going to be a lot of value in drafting wide receivers in the second and third round, and I don't think they're going to be all that different on talent than – guys who were drafted in the mid to late part of round one of dynasty rookie drafts. So I really think it's going to be a lot about landing spot, but on talent alone, I think, I think all these guys are very close for me. I think the guy who I'm higher on than, than a lot. And it's been surprising to me how little attention I feel like James Washington's been getting, to be frankly honest with you. Uh, Before last week, Matt Harmon, who does great work with reception perception and for NFL.com. He's been on a couple of podcasts and he has been championing the cause a little bit for James Washington as well. So it was honestly the first person I really heard talk about him like that, because it really seems like he's in nobody's top five. And for me, he's my number two wide receiver in this class. I think he has two elite traits. I think his ability to win at the catch point, his ability to go up, and get the ball really long reach, even though he's only like 5'11", uh, really long arms, good length, uh, ability to go up and get the ball, and his ball tracking skills. I think both of them are really elite traits, and I, I'm a fan of his game. Uh, he went to the Senior Bowl. He answered the questions there. I mean, there were people really questioning whether or not he was even going to be the best Oklahoma State wide receiver at the Senior Bowl. I thought that was crazy talk. Uh, I think Marcel Leitman is a, is a solid you know, wide receiver, but I thought people were really, you know, looking to be different with those takes, but it wasn't just one or two people. There was a lot of people and James Washington went there, answered the bell. He showed more route running diversification than maybe we saw at Oklahoma state, which he just wasn't asked to do. We saw his ability to get off press. I think there's a lot more to his game than meets the eye. And I think he's a guy that is probably going to go on night two of the NFL draft. He's probably going to go, in round two of rookie drafts. And I think he can be right at the top as one of the better wide receivers in this class. For me, Calvin Ridley is still number one. So, I mean, if if that's a hot take anymore, I guess it might be. So I still like Calvin Ridley. I think he's the best route runner by far in this class. I'm not concerned about his combine whatsoever. I think he's going to be able to get open at will at the NFL and be an 85, 90 catch guy, you know, very easily. And then one other guy I think I'm a little higher on, and I just don't know if people are taking the off the field stuff into concern, but I think Antonio Callaway is a top five wide receiver in this class out of Florida. I think you can make the cases even on talent alone. He's potentially number two or number three in my eyes. Uh, I think, again, do I know where he's going to go? No, he might go round three. He might go undrafted. Like, and obviously that's going to be a big impact in terms of his, his dynasty rookie draft value. But he's a guy that if he starts, if he's there in the third round of rookie drafts, almost regardless of where he gets drafted in the NFL draft, I'm going to start making a move for him because if he has his head on straight, I think he could be an impact player. In terms of guys, I guess I'm a little bit lower on. I'm not that low on him, but I have DJ Moore at number six. And, you know, I think most people now have him at number one or number two following his combine. I think he's a really good player. I've comped him to Golden Tate. I think he can win inside and win outside. Uh, I love his ability to go up and get the ball. He He's physical for a guy his size. I think he's very versatile in terms of how he can be used in a variety of ways. I just think this wide receiver class is so tight that, you know, I don't think there's that much difference between him and the guys that have him ahead of him or behind him. So I guess having him six is a little bit different than the green. Uh, but I don't really think there's anyone else then in my top 13 or so who's that different than probably the consensus. How, how early are you taking your first wide receiver in a rookie draft? And let's just say well, one QB PPR. Uh, we did a mock draft recently over at Saturday to Sunday and the first wide receiver went off the board at pick seven in our rookie draft. And I think that's probably, unless one of them lands in a perfect spot or on the flip side, if one of the six top running backs don't land in an ideal spot. For me, I would take the six running backs from Barkley, Geist, Ronald Jones, Sonny Michelle, Carrion Johnson, Nick Chubb, 
I think before I took a wide receiver only because I just don't think there's a lot of differences in the, in the level of wide receiver that I can get, you know, in round two or round three than round one. I don't think it's that substantial. So for me, I think these running backs, if they go into situations where they're going to become the focal point of the offense, I'd feel more comfortable getting any of those six wide receivers before making the investment in a guy like Ridley or Washington or Sutton. And obviously dynasty rookie rankings really do change a lot based on pre-draft rankings. Like right now, my rankings are exclusively based, you know, on film analysis and stuff like that. We're trying to tie in a little bit to fantasy, but obviously if guys end up behind people, like when Derrick Henry ended up behind, you know, uh, Murray in Tennessee or other situations like that, obviously that could push the running backs down. And then, you know, if Ridley or, you know, DJ Moore, you know, is the go-to guy in Dallas, if they cut Des Bryant and they draft him or Carolina, obviously it could shake things up a little bit. But on talent alone, I, I would say the first wide receiver would come off the board in that six to eight range. Nice. Or if any of them ends up uh, on the Packers, that, that could be quite fun. Yeah, absolutely. I, I could say the Packers, Packers seem like a team like, I feel like they never want to invest too high. So I think I could see them on day two. But again, I think that's where a lot of these wide receivers are going to come off the board. I think there's going to be a, a big, big surge. I think it's only going to be one or two on night one. But I think night two, we could see 10, 11 wide receivers come off the board. And I think they're all going to be very fantasy viable based on their landing spots. Uh, and then there could be a few real good steals that are left there to start around four, I think. Because like I said, I think the top 13 or so is really strong in terms of depth. I don't think they have those true number one guys. But I do think that I do think the, the quality number two, number three NFL wide receivers is, is deep. And teams are going to be able to get those guys in, in round three or even early part of round four. I love the Antonio Callaway take. <clears throat> I'm a, as, as our listeners have heard, ad nauseum. I'm a, I'm a big Gator fan, and, and I was really <laughs> impressed with the way he kind of exploded on the scene his freshman year at Florida, and, and it's just been all downhill since then. But um, I, I was curious. I, I, I'm sure you're active on Twitter, Paul, and um, I don't know if you saw, but Antonio Brown, um, I think it was Monday night, um, tweeted out, uh, somebody tell Antonio Callaway I'm looking for him. And I thought that was really interesting for him to – for Antonio Brown to, to tweet that out. I, I was pretty – I, I'm I'm pretty excited to see where he ends up. I think you're. I think had he not had the off the field issues, we'd be talking about him as a first round um, or almost certainly a first day pick in this draft. So I, I hope that he goes somewhere that will give him an opportunity. And for his sake, I hope that you know all the boneheaded mistakes that he made at, at Florida are behind him, and he realizes this is probably his, his last opportunity to really um, make it in the league. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, he he really is an explosive talent. I mean, in terms of his ability to win inside and outside, his elite return ability. I mean, people are talking a lot about that with Dante Pettis, and he is one of the, if not the premier punt returner in the country. But I think Antonio Callaway could be right up there on that level too. You know, listen, we saw obviously they're very different situations, but we saw the league, you know, look at the Joe Mixon situation last year and still deem him worthy to go in the second round. So it'll be interesting to see when they dig into everything that's happened with Antonio Callaway, what they make of him. Because on talent alone, like you said, he belongs in that group to be a day two wide receiver, maybe even push for round one, depending on how many wide receivers go off the board. So I think a team's going to take a chance on him, either at the back end of round three or early in in round four and I think that's really interesting I didn't see that about Antonio Brown I kind of hope it I kind of hope they made a connection maybe Callaway you know I don't know if it's something like a role model type thing and he wanted to like kind of you know tutor tutor him a little bit and, and reach out to him that way but if that's what Antonio Brown was looking to do I hope Antonio Callaway uh, takes advantage of it and I think that could be great for for his career and his outlook yeah I mean when the best when the best wide receiver in the NFL throw something out there like that. I mean, if I'm Antonio Callaway, I'm, uh, I'm trying to get in touch with him and take him up on that offer because I think that he probably can. I don't know if he sees a little bit of himself. I don't know much about Antonio Brown in his younger days, but I just thought it was cool. I, I, I when I see stuff like that on Twitter, you know, I think to myself, you know, that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe AB is really trying to, to get, uh, reach out to him and, and lend a hand to the, to the, the young man. So should be fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And again, if he if he gets his head on straight, team can get a steal in, in the mid rounds potentially, or even late rounds. We can probably jump into talking QBs. Did you guys see that stat that I looked up? 
for for quarterbacks. Uh, so somebody uh, tweeted, oh, only uh, out of like the the fifty whatever quarterbacks that have been taken in the first round since uh, like since two thousand or two thousand one. Uh, only you know like thirteen of them have raised their QB or their their collegiate uh, or sorry their completion percentage from college to the pros. And so I was like, hmm, that's interesting because one to me that seems like a lot because it was like it was thirty one percent. That seems really high. So I don't think that should be a deterrent. So I looked it up, and and I only ended up with four that increased their 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 completion percentage from college to the pros that were taken in the first round. So again, smaller sample size, but it was uh, Matt Ryan his his collegiate. Uh, uh, percentage was fifty nine nine, so just like, just below sixty. And then his uh, college best was sixty one point six. And then his pros so far has been sixty four point nine overall. Uh, Stafford was fifty seven point one average. His best year was sixty one point four. And then his pro has been sixty two. Uh, Jay Cutler, his best college season was sixty one. His pro was sixty two. And then number four was Kyle Bowler, whose best collegiate best collegiate season was fifty three point four. And his best pro, his pro percentage for us fifty six point seven. So anyway, uh, it's it's rare for uh, it to, for quarterbacks to raise their completion percentage from college to the pros. Is basically what this tells me. And even if looking at like best comparable, because you'd have players like you know Chad Pennington Pennington who raised it, but they had such you know higher completion percentages their one or two last years in college that I, I threw those out. So anyway, that was fun a fun little like dive in just so. It, all all the first round quarterbacks, the expectation should be it's it's a rarity for your completion percentage to go out. Not that that dictates your success, you know, in the NFL overall. So, Paul, in terms of quarterbacks, are there characteristics you look for um, in, in like beyond what you see on the film? Do, do you look at some key statistics that that you you want quarterbacks to reach a certain threshold? Because completion percentage is one of those things. You know, the I don't know, is it the common wisdom is that you want your quarterback in college to be uh you know completely 60 percent of their of their passes or i've also seen the three to one touchdown to interception ratio um you, know, you hear about hand size velocity do you look at any of those things or you do you just care strictly about the tape for to be frankly honest with you i think i know it's right now it's a hot topic item with with josh allen and for me when i'm watching the quarterback position i i don't really look at some of those things and i don't know if it's just you know as a Giants fan, someone who's literally watched every Eli Manning throw, and I've seen him play in multiple schemes, I saw him and his completion percentage drastically different uh, differ from year to year with Kevin Gilbride's offense, which was a much more vertical-based uh, vertical passing offense with option routes where him and the wide receiver had to read it the same way. And I saw Eli early in his career, you know, 57%, you know, 58% at times, like, or, or just hovering around that 60 or whatever. And in the NFL, you know, that's not very good for, for, for some people when other people are at 65, 68, 70%, like Drew Brees or something like that, or Tom Brady. And then I saw McAdoo come in a couple of years ago and when he became the offensive coordinator. And that was the first time that they had put Eli Manning into a much more West Coast style offense. And they weren't taking vertical shots down the field all the time. And all of a sudden, Eli Manning's completion percentage took a dramatic turn upwards in, in those years when they were running a different style and different scheme. So I really don't look at the accuracy number I think it's I think it's always intriguing to look at, but I don't think it I don't know if it says a lot about it because you know in college there are so many teams that throw screens, slants, short passes all game long. And don't get me wrong, Baker Mayfield is a more accurate quarterback than Josh Allen, but Baker Mayfield throws so many short passes as part of that offense that Oklahoma ran that it skews the numbers, he's not going to be probably as accurate at the NFL level as he is in college. I think that would almost be unheard of. And on the flip side, a guy like Josh Allen, who I don't really think my quarterback rankings are all that different. I know we were doing that for running backs and, and wide receivers, but I will say that I am a believer in Josh Allen. When I watched film only last summer, he was my number one rated quarterback from this class. Now, I would have been night foolish to not take into account some of the issues that are that came about this year, his level of play against some of the non power I mean against some of the power five teams. 
So right now, I, I, can't, I constantly flip-flop number three between him and Baker Mayfield after Rosen and Darnold, who I just think are a little bit safer, but not that much more safer, to be honest with you. And when it comes to Josh Allen and that number that, every, that kind of sticks in everybody's heads is – and I, I've, I had a whole conversation on Twitter today with somebody – is that you watch Josh Allen on film, and I don't think the offense that he had there – really called for a lot of screens, short passes, dump-offs. They much more pushed the ball vertically down the field. And when I crunched the numbers, it was nine more completions. So literally one extra completion a game that maybe instead of throwing the ball vertically down the field, they did a dump-off pass to a running back or a screen pass. If he had nine more completions, his completion percentage goes to 60% this year. And then – the whole narrative about that 56, I think, goes out the window. So I think sometimes we don't realize just how small the margin is to go from 60% to 56%. It's nine passes. And, if, you know, and that's less than one per game that if it was just a short dump off, you know, that he, you added to that, you know, would have, would have increased, would, would have increased, you know, his percentages. So, I, I don't look, I'm much more about watching the film and I'm looking for that guy that, I feel like has a little bit of that it factor can do things, you know, throw on the run. I think throwing on the run has became a critical factor now at the NFL because offensive line play continues to get worse and worse every single season. I think a quarterback's got to be willing to got to be able to throw on the run, extend plays, play within the structure of the offense and without, and just make some of those NFL style throws, you know, those 25 yard out routes. You know, one of my biggest concerns about Lamar Jackson is as much of a fan I am about him is, Outside the numbers, he really struggles once the ball is past the intermediate to, to deep parts of the field if it's outside the numbers. If it's in between the numbers and the hash marks, he's very accurate. But you put it outside the numbers, and I think in the NFL, defensive coordinators are going to create defensive game plans that kind of really guard the middle of the field and challenge him to beat you on the outsides, and I think that's going to be the area where he has to improve. I see Josh Allen capable of making all those throws does he need to improve his accuracy? Of course. I'm not sitting there saying that he doesn't. And I think a lot of it's in his footwork. His level, his players around him were really poor too at Wyoming. So I think, I think there's a lot of reasons why it was as low as it was. But I think he's right up there as talented as any of the quarterbacks in this draft class. I think he's deserving of a top 10 pick right there along with the other ones. I think you could look at all of them and find flaws. Sam Darnold, the decision-making and the turnover has got to be improved. You know, Josh Rosen, the durability and concussions, and his accuracy was only 60%. Lamar Jackson, I already talked about. Baker Mayfield, the size. Besides Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, you know, those are the two only quarterbacks that have had prolonged success at the NFL level in our generation at that size. And then, obviously, the maturity and stuff that maybe could be an issue. So I think they all have issues at the quarterback position. I try to just look at what I see, though, on film more than anything. So if Josh Allen, let's say he's drafted number one to the Cleveland Browns, where, do you, where would you be comfortable drafting him in a super flex rookie draft, Paul? I think in a super flex, I'd probably say early to mid-second round for Josh Allen because I do think there is a little bit of a developmental game. I don't see him getting on the field. If he was to go to Cleveland – I don't see him getting on the field year one. So then you're talking about year two being his rookie year. I think there obviously is going to be some growing pains. I think he's more of a long-term project. So I think you're talking about really being fantasy relevant, probably third year of his career, where maybe he can be a quarterback two in, in a super flex league. Uh, I guess if he's starting, he's worthy of at least playing a little bit in, in his first year in, in that type of setting. But I do think it's going to take him a little bit of time. So I think if you don't need immediate level you know, production from him, I would be okay in the, somewhere in the second round, to be honest with you. But I could see all the other guys going off the board ahead of him in a fantasy type setting. Uh, because maybe they get on the field quicker in Lamar's case that that running ability potentially moves him up the you know the pecking order a little bit but it really depends on how quickly these guys if Lamar Jackson goes somewhere and you know maybe New England's in play now they're saying if he goes and sits behind Tom Brady and I think Brady might play another two years at this rate well then I will take Josh Allen over Lamar Jackson or if he goes to a team like San Diego 
or Pittsburgh and maybe Rivers or, you know, Roethlisberger play a couple more years, then I wouldn't take Lamar Jackson over a guy like Josh Allen, if I think, because I do think he would be the starter a year from now. And also, Josh Allen's super athletic. I think, uh, he, you know, he can take off and run with well. I mean, hopefully he keeps him upright still and, and keeps him safe. But I think his, uh, his rushing ability is, is getting, getting bypassed when it comes to kind of production, especially earlier on. Yeah, I mean, I actually, think that, I actually think that's being undersold on him, to be honest with you. I think people are so concerned with the accuracy number that people aren't realizing. Like, I, I've said it since last summer that he reminds me a lot and I was watching a lot of them way back in 2004 because I knew the Giants were going to be taking a quarterback and all reports were that they were super high on Ben Roethlisberger. And, you know, ESPN had a lot of Miami of Ohio games on that year because of Roethlisberger and, and they knew he was a top level talent. And I think if you go back and everyone looks at Roethlisberger now as this big lumbering guy in Pittsburgh, but once upon a time, he wasn't. Once upon a time, he was very athletic. You go back and watch Miami of Ohio, you're seeing him run some option stuff. You're seeing him make plays with his legs pretty regularly. I think Allen is much more like that guy. And I don't even think it's crazy when people say they see some ability that he could do some Cam Newton stuff because I do think he has that athleticism. I do think teams can – I think he can be a factor near the red zone and maybe rush for five or six touchdowns in a season in, in a certain type of scheme that he's potentially put in. I think that's definitely something that's not being looked at. And, you know, obviously Lamar would run for more, but all the other quarterbacks in this draft, I mean, I don't think you're going to get much out of them in terms of their rushing ability, but I think Allen is a guy that could get you, you know, four to six touchdowns, and obviously that, that adds up in, in the fantasy world. Quick little uh, fun stat is Roethlisberger ran his combine 40 and 475. Uh, the same year, uh, Phil, Philip Rivers uh, ran his 40 in 508. <laughs> I, just, I had to share that. It was, it's pretty funny that Philip Rivers was slower than freshman year high school Will Greenwood. <laughs> no, I, I love, I love the insight Paul on Josh Allen. Cause you're, you're just not hearing that too much. Cause the, the hate, he's just one of those guys that's gone so far on him. And there are reasons, there's a, a many reasons that, you know, NFL evaluators are, are some of them are so high on this guy. So I, I love, love that insight. Let, let's get into tight ends because I, I think there are some intriguing tight end prospects, but in general, before you get into guys are higher on than the consensus and lower on the consensus, how do you feel about this tight end class? Because I've heard some mixed things. I, I've heard that, oh, you know, obviously they're not last year's tight end class, but it's a pretty good class. And then I've heard p- people say, oh, you know, this tight end class, you know, just, just uh, some of these guys are getting too much hype. Where, where, where do you, how do you feel about the class in general? And then who are your guys that you're higher on and lower on? Yeah, I mean, I actually think it's a pretty solid tight end class. I think I think what happens is people, recency bias, it's not last year's class. We don't have three clear-cut first-round picks, you know, in Evan Ingram, O.J. Howard, you know, and David Njoku, who were all athletic freaks. You know, so I think that's where what made them stand out last year. You know, we had all three of those guys absolutely crush the combine, uh, you know, all performed really well in the pre-draft process. But when I look at this class, I think there's three guys that are on the late round one, early round two, you know, uh, in terms of their positioning and where they can come off the, the draft. And I think it's a pretty solid tight end class. I think it's better than the year before, which only had Hunter Henry and Austin Hooper, I think, in the first, you know, 100 picks. I, I, think, I think this class is a little bit better than people are giving it credit for. You know, it took a little bit of a hit when Adam Brenneman had to retire because I, he was one of my diamonds in the rough. I really liked Adam Brenneman's game. He was a former big-time recruit to Penn State, played there one year, and then injuries derailed his career a little bit there. But he ended up at UMass and really put together a really great college season. So I thought he was going to be a guy that was going to go in that, like, round four mix, which was really going to be really intriguing. He was definitely going to be one of my guys that I targeted in all my dynasty rookie drafts, you know, like, and it wouldn't have cost me much, maybe like, you know, fourth or fifth round pick or something. But overall top for me, I think the guy in the fantasy community, people just aren't that high on Hayden Hurst. And I think it's the age thing. And I got to be honest with you, for me, I almost don't take age into consideration at all when I'm evaluating these prospects. I really only use it as a tiebreaker because I do think 
every situation is different. Like in Hayden Hurst's case, he went to play minor league baseball. So like, you know, I don't think just because he's 24, 25, listen, if somebody, if somebody picks a fantasy player because they're thinking eight years down the line, God bless them. Like I can't think more than like when I make a fantasy decision, I'm usually thinking in a, if it's running backs, I'm usually thinking in a two to three year window. If it's wide receivers, I'm usually thinking in like, you know, a five to six year window, you know, quarterback, maybe I'm thinking like an eight to 10 year window, but for tight ends, I'm, I'm thinking more of that five year window. And, you know, Hayden Hurst being, I think 25 years old when the season starts doesn't really bother me. You know, I think an NFL team would look to get two contracts out of them and tight ends we've seen be productive into their, you know, into their early thirties, 32, 33 guys before, and even sometimes later than that. So I'm not that down on Hayden Hurst because of the age thing. He's my tight end one. He reminds me a ton of Greg Olson, his ability to attack the seam, stretch defenses. I think after the catch, he's the best of any of the tight ends in this draft class. Uh, I just really like his ability. And he's a pretty solid blocker. And someone might say, well, why is that relevant for fantasy football? I think it's very relevant because I think in terms of snap counts, I think it means he's going to be on the field a lot more. So if he has the ability to block, he might be on the field 70%, 80% of the, the offensive snaps. That means that's more opportunities for him to potentially get passes, you know, touchdowns, et cetera, et cetera. A guy like Mike Gusecki, who's my number two, I'm really high on, he can't block at all. So he's <laughs> got to be used exclusively in a, in a pass-catching role. Probably, you know, my co-host, uh, Macaraccio, he's been comping him to Jimmy Graham since the senior bowl. I think it's a spot-on comparison, and I think he – would have the most immediate impact. If we're talking a redraft league, I think Gusecki's the tight end to grab because I could see him catch eight or ten touchdowns in year one. I just think Hayden Hurst has a little bit more overall upside, but I think it's real a coin flip there. To me, post-draft, it's really going to depend on landing spot for Hurst, Gusecki, and then the third guy is Dallas Goddard. I think they're all worthy of being you know, late first to early second round picks in tight end premium or two tight end leagues. I think in regular standard leagues, you know, probably, you know, mid-second round or, you know, early second round if it's a perfect landing spot. But all of them should come off the board by the end of round two, even even in leagues that aren't tight end premium. Uh, and that's probably that's probably the consensus. One, one sleeper guy for me is Christopher Herndon from Miami. I think he's really athletic. I love his game. Uh, we haven't heard anything from him since he got injured, and then he couldn't do anything at the combine in terms of drills. I think he did the bench press. Uh, but Christopher Herndon is a guy who I think is going to go on, like, round four, and I think he could be a sleeper tight end uh, that is going to be really intriguing because it's athleticism. He could block. He can line up in a variety of uh, locations on the field. He's got good hands, and I think he's a pretty good uh, playmaker after the, after the catch as well. So I like that uh, Christopher Herndon as a sleeper uh, for the tight end position as well. I like that column Herndon. Uh, uh, you know, no, no one's talking about him. He went to the U, right? Yep. And, and they, they always are producing tight ends. They always produce tight ends. That's, that's a great call, Paul. And this guy, you could probably get super late in your fantasy rookie draft because nobody's talking about him. A guy that people started to talk about, and I think you're a little bit lower than a consensus, and I don't know a lot about him admittedly, Tyler Conklin, Central Michigan. What, 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 what holes do you see in his game? Why do you yeah. have him lower than a lot of the other guys? Yeah, I mean, really good receiving tight end at Central Michigan. I He tested better at the combine than I thought in terms of all the drills. But I think he is more of a guy who was able to get open at will based on the level of competition. When he's facing better athletes at the NFL level, I'm not sure he's going to be able to get open as much. I think he's pretty solid at the catch point. So I think he's going to be a solid tight end prospect. But I think he's a guy who's probably going to come off the board in round four or round five. I even think he could be more of a round five guy. I think the NFL is going to like Herndon more than Conklin. So I just think he's a guy who's going to probably go into a situation where there's a couple guys ahead of him. So he's going to be more of a stash player. I think he's a solid player. I just think that I don't know athletically if, if anything stands out that he's going to be above and beyond. And I think, you know, that's one of my things that, the level of jump up in, in competition sometimes is so dramatic that, you know, guys, especially at the smaller level schools, you know, sometimes struggle to make that transition to the next level. And I could see Conklin being a solid, you know, second tight end, uh, a guy who, you know, has a decent career, 
you know, catches some passes, is a solid receiving tight end, but never really materializes to a lot in, in the fantasy landscape. But I do like him. I think he's a solid guy. I just am higher on, you know, Herndon and, and even Troy Fumagalli, who really is not much of an athlete, but I just think knows how to get open and is, is a savvy route runner. Uh, and some of the other guys. So for me, Conklin is down at number nine, uh, and that's me having Jalen Samuels listed with the tight ends right now. So maybe Conklin, if you take Jalen Samuels out, he's my number eight guy. So I don't think I'm that much lower probably than where he is in the consensus. I just I just look for a guy with a little bit more upside, and I'm not sure he has the upside that I'm that I'm looking for compared to a guy like Herndon or a guy like Ian Thomas out of Indiana. I, I love the point about Hurst uh, uh, coming in and be able to block too, because that's huge for red zone. When you're lining up in a goal line formation, be able to block and even come out on like a play action or something like that. I think that gets uh, uh, people lose sight of that pretty quickly. Also, Hernan from Miami, you know, his combine he was six three, basically in a half and two fifty three. He's a big boy. Yeah, he 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 he's a guy that I think people are sleeping on. And for the casual fan, the people not the people like us who you know really digest this and are and are looking at everything, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to go, and a lot of people are going to be like, "Who is that?" And he's going to go a little bit higher than I think people uh, people realize if he gets a chance to maybe have some type of private workout or pro day. I don't know if he's going to be able to do anything before the combine. Uh, so if not, that might drop him a little bit. You know, I think he's a guy. You know, I could see him. I am a real big fan of Jonu Smith out of Tennessee. I think he could be a really fantasy viable once Delaney Walker moves on. I could see Herndon being a guy very similar to Jonu Smith, who I picked up in a couple of drafts last year. Uh, but I could see Herndon being a guy like that, that comes off the board and that, you know, a little bit earlier than I think people realize, you know, I don't think a lot of people thought Jonu Smith was going to go as high as he did last year. Absolutely. So Paul, let's, we're going to take a page from the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. And we're going to ask you, and you've been asking your guests this lately. We're going to ask you what players that you haven't discussed, are you going to try your best to walk away with in your dynasty rookie drafts? Sure. So a couple guys that I'm going to try hard at the running back position. I'm going to really see if I can get my hands on John Kelly in like the third round. For me, he's my 10th rated running back. So I think for him, it really depends on how early he goes in the NFL draft. If he goes on night two of the NFL draft, you know, that might not be possible for me to get him in the third round. But if he goes on day three, or maybe he doesn't land in an ideal situation at the start of his career, I really like John Kelly's game. His ability to absorb contact and his, his aggressive running style is, is, is basically Marshawn Lynch-like, even though he's not as big as a guy like Marshawn Lynch. But he runs I, – I like him because he could also be a three-down back. I also think he's a very good receiver out of the backfield, and I think he can run between the tackles. He can run outside. He's not going to make people miss in the backfield, you know, laterally or change direction stuff. But when he gets in the open field, his combination of his athleticism, his, his contact balance, and being able to break tackles with his strength and power is really impressive. So I really like John Kelly a lot. A little bit later than that, I love Chase Edmonds out of Fordham. I think Mike Mayak compared him to James White uh, at the Combine, and I've been a fan of Chase Edmonds since last August when we started scouting these guys as a, for, out of Fordham. He really is a fun player to watch. Like, uh, If people went back and looked at Brian Westbrook film from when Brian Westbrook was in Villanova, there's a lot of similarities with Chase Edmonds at Fordham in terms of what, you know, he handled a heavy workload, good receiver out of the backfield, can make people miss. Now, obviously, I'm not saying he's going to have an NFL career, Brian Westbrook, because Brian Westbrook turned, you know, going from Villanova into a elite NFL career and elite fantasy option. But I think Chase Edmonds is a prototypical third down, change of pace, receiving back that could have some value tested really well at the combine in terms of uh, the change of direction drills. I like Edmonds' game a lot. I don't think he's going to cost much. And in the PPR league, I'd be excited to have him. And then at the wide receiver position, one guy that I like a lot who's going to be going later, I think, is a couple guys actually. Uh, Byron Pringle out of Kansas State and Jordan Lastly out of UCLA. Now, those are guys that are out of my top 15 out of my top 14 guys. So we're talking, you know, those are round four, round five guys. So I, I like their upside there. I think Jordan Lasley, some of the off the field stuff might push him down. Uh, I think he's a, I think he's a guy who didn't test out as well as I expected at the combine, but I think he's got the explosiveness to get vertical. He's got to clean up his hands and, and his drops issue a little bit. 
But I, I think he's an all-around really solid player that can get vertical, make plays down the field, is a pretty good route runner. So I like Jordan Lasley. And then Byron Pringle, I love his game because he's just a precise route runner. And as we've seen so many wide receivers struggle to make the transition from playing on Saturdays to playing on Sundays, it's the guys who are true route runners. I heard this last week on, uh, I think it was Matt Harmon when he was on a podcast, was talking about two years ago when right now Laquan Treadwell, Corey Coleman, Josh Doxson, none of those guys have really panned out. The two guys that have panned out were Cooper Cup, I'm sorry, not Cooper Cup, uh, Michael Thomas and Sterling Shepard. Both of those guys tested out really well in terms of their route running ability in college. And then last year, who made the transition really smooth was Cooper Cup. Those are the guys who have really good route running abilities sometimes find the transition to the NFL game a lot easier because it's, all, it's so much about route running now. And I think Byron Pringle is a guy who's probably going to go the fifth round of the NFL draft. And that's probably where it could be had fourth or fifth round of a rookie draft. I like his game. I think he can play the Z position or he can play inside in the slot. And he's even got some athleticism to get vertical as well. But I like his overall route running ability. So those are just a couple of guys that I hadn't mentioned previously. A couple of those other guys that I had mentioned already, Christopher Herndon, Antonio Callaway, obviously Kalen Blodge. Those are going to be guys that I'm obviously going to be heavily targeting because I'm higher on than the consensus. But those are a couple other guys that I hadn't brought up. Uh, that I'm going to try to get in my rookie drafts in the latter part, of, uh, latter stages of it. Hey Trey, you want to you want to talk a little bit of Debbie with Paul? Yeah, you know I, I have kind of delved into Debbie this this off season. I was in one one Debbie league that was a startup uh, last off season, and um, have always been a big college football fan. So the the transition to some leagues with a, a little bit of a Debbie component makes a lot of sense. I, I just was part of a dispersal in um, kitchen sink three that Ryan McDowell commissions. And, and that's got a pretty decent Debbie component. Um, I, I just wanted to, I, you know, I don't know how many of our listeners are big in Debbie, but um, if you, what, what's your strategy for, for Debbie leagues? Do you tend to obvious, I, I know scoring format and um, you know, starting lineup requirements are going to probably dictate which positions you focus on, but is there kind of a, a method that you use as far as which which do you aim for, you know, guys that are going to get to the NFL sooner or, or do you, you know, do you stick to the power five conferences? Do, are there certain programs that you lean towards? What What's your methodology when you're selecting Debbie players in a, in a startup? Yeah. I mean, for me, I think in terms of Debbie, I'm looking for guys that have, I, I mentioned it before, like elite traits and skills, because I think that's something that, it's so easy to fall into a trap of you watch a guy and he looks solid across the board. Well, if he looks solid across the board in high school or in college, I'm not sure that's going to definitely translate to be an elite level or top level player at the NFL level. And then, you know, a big time fantasy contributor. So I'm usually looking for guys that have elite traits. You know, obviously it's always important. I think to keep an eye on the star ratings that, that a lot of the scouting services like rivals and two, four, seven put out because, you know, they do a lot of the grit work in terms of kind of giving you an idea of who at least the top athletes are at those positions. And then, you know, doing some, uh, film analysis after that you already have like a smaller pool to be pulling from and then you're looking for certain traits and things that stick out you know for the running back position I like the guys that I feel like are a little bit dual versatile that have already shown the capacity to be impactful in the receiving game you know and and maybe have that an elite trait or two you know for the wide receivers I think for the Debbie component, I think you're looking for those athletic specimens and those athletic freaks because it's hard, you know, to see a really precise route runner that might be, you know, 5'11 or 6 feet and know if he's going to translate a couple years down the line. He might physically grow into his body more. So I think for the wide receiver position, I'm looking more for those physical, athletic, you know, specimens. The guys that you on film look like, you know, they could maybe one day be the next Julio Jones or A.J. Green. And it's crazy to see what some of these guys look like at the high school level and transition into, you know, freshmen in college and, and what their body types look like. So for the wide receivers, I think I'm looking for those real athletic specimens. For the running backs, I'm looking for the versatility to potentially impact the game running and receiving. Uh, for quarterback, it's really hard. I think, you're again, you're looking for the prototype, you know, the, the size, 
traditional pocket passer because it's so rare that the mobile athletic guys pan out at the NFL level. Now maybe, you know, we're in a, a time where Lamar Jackson's going to change the narrative on that a little bit. But I think right now that's still, you're still looking for the guys, you know, who have some athletic ability, but more to play within the pocket and keep plays alive. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm looking at. I think it's always a very hard line in terms of how far back you go in terms of how far they are away from the NFL. It really is the mindset of, are you playing for now or are you playing for the, a little bit down the line and trying to get the best collection of talent? Because if you're playing for a little bit further down the line, then I think you can invest in guys that are two or three years away from being drafted into the NFL. If you're playing with a little bit more immediate uh, immediate mindset, then you might be looking at the guys who you know are draft eligible and are going to be coming out, say, next year in the NFL draft. So it's really, you know, I think you try to find a balance, but I think most people either, you know, go more towards, I'm just going to collect the best talent possible, and if I lose for a couple of years, I lose. But some people other times, you know, do it a little bit differently. So I'm more of a mindset of if it's an elite player, I don't care how far they are away. If I, you know, a guy like Cam Akers, I would have been trying to get everywhere, you know, no matter what. Because when I look at Cam Akers, I think we're going to be talking about him like we are Darius Geis, you know, and, you know, Saquon Barkley. I think that that has, that is how special of a talent Cam Akers is going to be. So I wouldn't mind the wait for a guy like him. Yeah, I can't help but think of um, DK Metcalf when you talk about those athletic specimens. I remember last year when when his name was bursting on the scenes in SEC circles, you know, some of those videos and, and pictures that were circulating of this guy. I mean, I think at the time he was 19 and, you know, he's like 6'4", 215 or 220. Just the, I, I, I don't know, man, if you guys listening, maybe have heard the name DK Metcalf, uh, you should look at some some pictures and some of the weight room videos that have circulated on this guy. He He's a, I mean, that it's kind of the, that's the, the guy that I think of when you'd start talking about an athletic specimen, a guy that's, that's a freak. Yeah. I mean, and just a little sneak peek next year, the dynasty rookie community is going to be fixated on the wide receiver class because it is going to be clear cut the best position next year. And I don't even think it's going to be all that close. I actually think it could be a down year at the quarterback position. I think it could be a pretty down year at the running back position where the year after is going to be fantastic at the running back position. I think next year could be a little bit of a down year compared to the last two draft classes. But next year, you're going to have a handful of wide receivers that maybe people look at this year's draft class and don't see that true wide receiver one type. I mean, people are hoping Cortland Sutton or Equinemia St. Brown maybe become that. Next year, between uh, Brian Edwards from South Carolina and Nikhil Harry from Arizona State, uh, DK Metcalf, who you just talked about, from Ole Miss, there's a whole bunch of them that are, that are going to, if they pan out, they're going to be looked at as bona fide potential number one NFL-type wide receivers based on their body type, athleticism, as being the total package. So we might be in for a little bit of a revival next year with the wide receiver position after having a couple down years in terms of top-level fantasy guys right out of the gate. And now it's time for everybody's favorite pre-draft game show, Am I Older Than... Calvin Ridley, and now the host of Am I Older Than Calvin Ridley, Will Greenwood. Thank you, Ron. Thank you for that introduction. Very gracious, very gracious. I'm looking forward to tonight's show. we got a, a great uh, lineup getting started. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go off the bat, a little bit of a homer pick here from Minneapolis. Uh, Mr. Mr. Dalvin Cook, is, is Dalvin Cook older or younger than Calvin Ridley? I'm going to say younger. You are correct. And he is eight months younger. He was born August 10th, 1995. So he's 20, he is 22 and eight months younger. And I kind of skipped over because I got excited and jumped right into it. So Calvin Ridley, born December 20th, 1994. Uh, the other quick one in there that we mentioned last time that's kind of surprising is Sony Michelle was born uh, February 17th, 1995. So they're both 23-year-old prospects. Uh, the, next, the next one I want to go into, and the, he, he came up a little bit more before this, uh, th- this trade went down to the Rams, but Josh Reynolds, Josh Reynolds, the wide receiver for the Rams. Is he older or younger than Calvin Ridley? I'm going to say older. 
Oh, it's close. So Josh Reynolds was born February 16th, 1995. So he is two months younger than Calvin Ridley and one day older than, than Sony Michelle. Not that that was part of the game, but that gets fun. Next up, Taewon Taylor. I'm going to say he's younger. You spot on. You just, just write all the time. He's two and a half months younger. He was born March 2nd, 1995. So Taewon Taylor, two months, two months younger than Calvin Ridley. And uh, we'll go – I, I want to go with, with this one, and it can be the last – let's do second to last one. CJ Prosize. I'm going to say older because I feel like he has to be, but this could be a trick question. He was the goal. He's been the golden boy for two years without doing anything. <laughs> CJ Prosize, but you're correct. He is older, but he is seven months older. Uh, he was born March or May 20th, 1994, but only seven, only seven months older. So been in the league a couple years. Uh, the next one, and we'll we can we can close it out on this one if if it's not too easy. But uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Evan Ingram. He's a tight end say, for your Giants. Gonna, I don't know. If I'm you gonna know say. Either. I'm gonna say. Older only because he stayed at his college for a while. So I, I have to imagine he might be a year older. So he was September 2nd, 1994. So he is three and a half months older. Okay. Literally three and a half months older. That's great stuff, Paul. I think with that, we'll, we'll get you on out of here. But Paul, before you go, tell our listeners where they can find your work. Sure. And before I go, I just wanted to, uh, say thank you to all you guys. I really enjoyed being on the show. It was a pleasure talking football with you guys. Obviously, this is one of the best times of the year. We're, like we said, about three weeks away or so now before the NFL draft. And it's just so fun uh, to come on here and, and talk to you guys about it. In terms of where they can find my work on Twitter, it's at Paulie23NY. Uh, make sure you're also following uh, the Saturday Sunday football handle, which is S2S Football. To f- purchase the premium content, you got to get over to the website, SaturdaySundayFootball.com. Click on the tab that says premium content. And for $9.99, you get the four premium notebooks. It includes the 2018 Scouty Notebook, which includes 100 player profiles of 2018 prospects, their strengths, weaknesses, how they win, NFL projection, role, scheme fit. Uh, any notes that we took on underclassmen from the summer when we watched film last summer as well. You get the rankings and tiers notebook, which has our draft rankings. It'll have our dynasty rookie rankings. It has our Debbie uh, rankings and our freshman rankings. And then you get the recently released freshman notebook, which includes 50 uh, detailed player profiles on the top 50 incoming freshmen in the college football there is no resource like that out there uh, for deep Debbie drafts. And then coming in the next uh, couple of weeks, you get the draft projections notebook, which is me gathering all the information uh, that I've been hearing, listening, reading about in terms of trying to predict how the draft night is going to unfold for every single position, offense and defense with a projection of the top 32, top 100, and my best estimate of trying to predict uh, all 257 picks. Uh, last year, I correctly got 212. So the bar is set high. We'll see if I can try wow. to beat it this year. That's incredible. 212. No, all, all that for 999? All that for 999. We pretty much uh, every uh, right around the start of college football season uh, is when we come out with the scouting notebook and the uh, rankings notebook. And then we up that in real time. So it's not a PDF file, they're all on the Google platform. So when we make updates in terms of our notebooks and in terms of our scouting, anybody has access to it in real time if they purchase it from in the summer. And then as the year goes on, we watch more film on these guys. We watch the, the, the more recent film. We update it. We add new players. So last year in the summer when we did it, we, uh, in terms of 2018 draft-eligible prospects, we had done about 15 quarterbacks, 12 tight ends, and about 20 wide receivers and 20, court, uh, 20 wide receivers and 20 running backs. And then as the year went on, we continued to add more guys. And then obviously massive update uh, in December and January once we knew who was officially declaring and stuff like that. And then it ended up being around 100 actual 2018 draft prospects that we did player profiles on. And then there's like another – 
20, 25 guys who ended up not declaring, and then also some notes on some underclassmen as well. So it's, it's all year we're basically giving something out there because the Sky Notebook is updated all year, the rankings and notebook is updated all year, and then the freshman notebook will always come out in probably March, uh, a little bit after National Signing Day, and then the draft projection notebook is the last one, basically a TV guide reference for draft weekend. Yeah, Paul and Matt do not mess around. I, I own it myself. It's well worth it. Uh, Paul Pertichese, everybody. The, Paul, thanks for joining us once again. Th- thank you guys so much. Really appreciate you having me on tonight. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I, I'll be picking uh, picking that up tomorrow. <laughs> not, I mean, is there a, a payment plan of three payments of three thirty three? No, we, we didn't. We didn't offer that. Up. Maybe next. Year. Oof. Oh boy. <laughs> thanks again for listening to another episode of the Fantasy Joes. You can contact us directly at thefantasyjoes at gmail.com or at FFJoes on Twitter. Your feedback is always welcome. We want you to let us know how we're doing and what you want from us. We come at you weekly on Fridays with new episodes, but be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review, but only if it's a positive one. You can find us on Twitter. Trey is at Trey Barrett. Will, getting more active on Twitter at fantasyjoe underscore Will. 36 And I'm at RotoLab. On behalf of Trey Barrett and Will Greenwood, I'm Ryan Livergood, and we are the Fantasy Joes. The Fantasy Joes. And we're out like Jordan Howard pictures on Instagram. Bears pictures. (laughs) Hopefully they get Saquon if they get rid of Jordan Howard. Or somebody good.